0: Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right, we're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians still. And um, as we know, Paul addressed some issues in the book of 1 Corinthians, the first few chapters he addressed some issues we talked about, did some weed pooling in the Church of Corinth, and, and now he's in the midst of answering some questions that the Church of Corinth had for him. Obviously, there's some sort of... Uh, Some sort of discourse that they had. They wrote him a letter, they did something, and they asked some certain questions, and now he's answering those questions. And last week they they asked him about marriage and they asked him about relationships. And he and Paul stepped into that and he answered those questions and and that's what we talked about last week. Um, but the whole underlying theme for the whole book of First Corinthians is this idea of unity. If we find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. If you remember the very first week when we addressed this, what we talked about is we aren't unified because we all like the same things. We're unified because we all believe the same things, okay? Because we all have differences, right? All of us like different things in here, okay? For example, I see some chiefs Reds in the, Chief Red in the room to today right well um, I'm feeling good this week because my Packers won Thursday night so yeah Um, I I heard someone say shocker okay that's so but they did win so obviously we have some differences there okay some of you guys are Chiefs fans I don't know why Um, I'm a Packers fan because it's the best team but anyway so we have differences right some of you like pizza some of you don't like pizza okay I started thinking about some of the differences that my wife and I have, and um, and it's amazing because we have we have a lot of things that we differ on drastically. One thing we differ on drastically is music. I love country music. My wife cannot stand it. Like, it actually, at one point, she says, it hurts my ears. (laughs) She was like, we cannot listen to this, okay? And I'm like, if George Strait hurts your ears, I'm questioning this relationship, right? (laughs) Okay, so that's the thing. We get this idea that there's different dislikes and different likes, and so we're not unified because we all like the same things, okay? Because it's gonna be impossible for everybody in this room to all agree to like the same exact thing okay that's going to be impossible We'll have different likes different dislikes different taste buds however you want to look at it but the unifying factor is that we all believe the same things and that's what paul is getting across to the book of corinth He's saying, you know, listen, you're not all going to like the same things. You're going to have dislikes, okay? You're going to have differences. But the important thing is that we all believe the same things. That's why I'm excited for September 22nd. Um, we're doing that Theology 101. And this class is for anybody. Anybody's welcome to attend junior high through um, through adults is welcome to attend this. And what we're going to look at on Sunday nights is we're just going to look at what we believe. And we're going to kind of dive into that. And we're going to talk about doctrine. We're going to talk about theology and we're going to look at these things these issues of what we believe and why we believe them because here's the thing i think most people in here would say i believe there is one true god but if i asked you why what would your response be now most of us would say well because the bible says so well that's a good response but where does it say that in the bible Most of us would say, I believe that salvation is by faith and it's through grace. It's not of ourselves, it's a gift to God. But if I asked, well, why do you believe that? Most of us would be like, I'm not sure. Well, because I just kind of grew up believing that. Well, that's what we're going to talk about in that class, is we're going to look at theology, we're going to look at who God is, we're going to look at who Jesus is, we're going to look at the church, we're going to look at all these different things, these whole core doctrines that we hold to, we're going to look at those, and we're going to kind of dive into them and figure out, okay, this is why we believe what we believe. It is so important that we do that. Right now, I'm, I'm teaching an apologetics class at ACCA, and that's the whole point of this apologetics class, is learning to be able to, to defend your faith, But before you can defend your faith, you have to know what you believe about your faith. So that's why I'm excited about this theology class coming up September 22nd. It's going to start at 5 p.m. And I would encourage you, if you're interested in it, there's a sign-up sheet on our Connection Center in the lobby. Please go out there, sign up for it. And I'd love to have each and every one of you at that. Very excited about that. But that's why Paul is writing this letter. In the first six chapters, he's addressing some issues that affected their unity. He talked about their distractions, their loss of focus... He talked about some sin that was in the church. And in chapter 7 through 11, he's answering questions that they had for him. And as we talked about last week, he addressed marriage and relationships. And this next question that, we're, that he's going to address is, we looked at it very briefly a couple weeks ago, and we're going to dive in more to it today. And this was a big enough question that Paul actually gives three chapters in the book of 1 Corinthians just to address this issue. Chapters, um, basically, 8 through 10, chapters 8, 9, and 10, he discusses this issue issue with them and this was a big enough issue that he said you know what I just can't write one chapter on this okay I've got to discuss several chapters but if you remember back what he said in first Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 12 he says I have the right to do anything you say but not everything is beneficial I have the right to do anything but I will not be mastered by anything so the question Paul is going to address is what do we do with disputable issues what do we do with the great issues in life Right? What do we do with those things that we're just not sure about? What do we do with the things that maybe Scripture doesn't speak directly to? What do we do with those things? What do we do with the, the gray areas in life? And that's what Paul's going to talk about. And he's actually going to talk chapters 8, 9, and 10. He's going to discuss this issue. He's going to discuss the issue of Christian liberty and Christian freedom. So remember what he said? He goes, You have the right to do every, anything, but not everything is beneficial. And we talked about that just a little bit um, a couple weeks ago. And I used the analogy, it's that I have the right to eat McDonald's every single day for every single meal. I have that right. That my wife has been gone this weekend, she's celebrating her mom's birthday. So that has been like our life. I've been asking kids, what do you want for dinner? And Abby was like, McDonald's? I said, okay. (laughs) All right. (laughs) I have that right, but I think we all would say that would not be very beneficial. Right? So that's what Paul is going to discuss, this idea of Christian freedoms, this idea of Christian liberties. And what do we do with the gray areas in life? What do we do with those things that the Bible doesn't necessarily forbid us to do or not to do? What do we do with that? 1 Corinthians chapter 8, he's going to dive into it. Verse 1, he simply says this, Now about food, sacrifice to idols. This is going to be a gray area. Now this is not a gray area for us because we don't necessarily sacrifice, make sacrifices today. Okay, we don't necessarily worship idols today the way they did in the book of Corinthians. But idolatry was a huge issue during this time. People worshipped idols and in Corinth, it was difficult to get away from this. It was everywhere, so it was difficult for believers, especially. And there's a good chance that most of the people that were in the Church of Corinth that were believers in the Church of Corinth probably kind of escaped from this idea of, of idolatry. They were kind of saved from this idea, so this was still very fresh for them. So it was kind of hard to to escape it. It was everywhere. The temples, at the idols that were used to sacrifice, the idols. Idols were also used for parties, for weddings. The temple priest would use the best meat to offer sacrifices to idols and then sell the rest of the meat in the public market. So believers would go in there and they would want to buy this meat, but they were concerned because they were like, well, hold on. This meat was sacrificed to an idol. Am I okay to eat it? Is that wrong to eat it? Would it be wrong? Is it a sin for me to do this or would it be okay? So that's what Paul is going to address. So the question is, what does this issue of idolatry have to do with us, right? I mean, because again, most of us don't have to worry about going to Walmart or to Dillon's or to wherever you buy your meat and question whether or not it was sacrificed to an idol, okay? That's not a question we have to worry about today. So what does this have to do with us? How does this relate to us? Well, we know there's just certain things in the world that's wrong to do, right? It's wrong to lie. It's wrong to cheat. It's wrong to steal. It's wrong to gossip. Sexual immorality is wrong. It'd be wrong to break one of the Ten Commandments. We know those things are wrong. And it's easy for us to know those things are wrong because Scripture speaks directly to those things and tells us, don't do this, okay? Don't do this thing. Don't do that. Don't do this. So we understand that. And we understand there are some things that are right for us to do as believers serving loving one another encouraging one another giving sharing our faith we know those are right things for us to do so we know there's wrong things that we shouldn't do and there are right things that we should do but what about those gray areas you see because this meat being sacrificed to an idol this was a gray area so Paul's going to address it. what about some of the gray areas for us what about, and I'm just going to list a few. And these things that I'm going to list, first off, a disclaimer, I'm not attacking one of these things. This is not a sermon to say this is right or this is wrong. Um, but all these things I'm going to list, some of them, you'll be like, oh yeah, I get that. Some of them you may laugh at, but these are all things that the church over the history of its years have struggled with to answer some of these questions. What about social drinking? Is that right? Is it wrong? What about tobacco use? What about gambling? What about listening to non-Christian music? What about watching movies? What about watching a rated R movie? When I went to BBC, my very first semester there, it was forbidden for guys to have long hair. Guys couldn't have long hair and we couldn't have facial hair. That was wrong. You couldn't do that. We couldn't have tattoos. We had to wear ties to class. Couldn't play cards. Couldn't dance. These are all issues the church has struggled with over the years. And they've called these disputable issues. Now, some of these I wouldn't even say are disputable issues, but we have made them issues over time. But these are all things that the church has struggled with, struggled to answer. What do we do with these things? This Bible doesn't say whether they're right or they're wrong, so, so what do we do? Where do we go from here? And the reason we've struggled with this is because you won't find a definitive scripture that either condemns these things or supports them. So the gray areas. Now you can find some principles in scripture that can allude to some of these things. Okay, you can find some biblical principles that could say it may be wise to stay away from some of those things. Okay, you can definitely find some biblical principles there, but you're not going to come out and find one that says, don't do this or do do this. And that's why we struggle. That's why they become gray areas now the tendency for us is to move towards legalism that's the tendency our tendency is just to say well everything's wrong just don't do anything but hold hands and sing kumbaya okay everything is wrong that's our tendency okay our tendency is to lean that way but i think we have to be very careful so how do we handle those disputable issues well that's what paul is going to look at in chapter eight he says so now about food sacrificed to idols he goes on to say in verse 2 We know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that there is no God, no God but one. For even if there are so called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, yet for us there is one God. The Father from whom all things came and from and for whom we live. And there is one, there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificed food, they find of it it has been sacrificed to a God. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. Now listen to this. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat or know better if we do. So, how do we handle these disputable issues? The first thing I think we need to be very careful of when it comes to attacking these disputable issues is we have to beware of arrogance. See, Paul is saying, I know that you know this isn't a big deal. He's saying, I know that you understand that food sacrificed to idols is not a big deal. It's okay if you eat it. Paul's saying, I know that you know that. I know that you get that. But he says this, but there's some among you who don't understand it. And he goes, and because they don't understand it, you need to be very, very careful. He says, I know that you know it, but the problem is not everyone knows that. So you must be very careful. See, it's easy for our knowledge on biblical things to create sometimes an arrogance among us almost like a a pious attitude where we think i'm just a little bit better it's easy for us to gain this arrogance and almost look down on others because we know certain things all right we know that there's a certain way you act in church and there's a certain way you don't act in church right kind of the unwritten rules of church You know, there's always those unwritten rules. We know those things. And sometimes when people walk in and they don't quite get the unwritten rules, we kind of tend to look down on them a little bit. Because we know, we understand that, but the problem is they may not. See, and many times because of somebody's lack of knowledge, we can kind of cast judgment. So we must be very careful not to allow our knowledge of our own personal or even our own personal spiritual growth to breed this type of arrogance with us. I've said this often, we must be very careful when we cast judgment on others because each and every one of us is one bad decision away from being in just a mess doesn't matter how long you've been in the faith. We're all one bad decision away. And many of us will say, well, I would never do that. Ah, don't say never. And I've had people swear to me, no, I will never do that. I'm drawn back to a scripture in the Gospels. It's about a man named Peter. You remember what Peter told Jesus. Jesus, I would never deny you. I would die before I denied you, Jesus. What did Peter do? Scripture says three times. Three times in probably a matter of minutes, he denied the Lord. Three different times. See, we're all just one bad decision, so we have to be very careful not to become overly arrogant based on our own knowledge. He said, I know that you know that this is not really an issue. But there's some people that just don't understand that yet. So you need to be very careful with that second thing he's going to kind of point out is that love trumps knowledge what the church of Corinth is wanting is for Paul to make a determination he's wanting him him to say it is wrong to eat this meat or it is okay for you to eat this meat he's wanting them to make this to make some sort of a proclamation to this I've had people ask me often this is actually funny my daughter came to me probably about three months ago she said dad I have a serious question for you I said okay babe what's up she's like would you be okay if I got a tattoo and I go um, when are we talking (laughs) are we talking now We talking later? I said, because if we're talking now, that's a definite no. Because you're going to get like a llama somewhere on your cheek, and that's going to be a no go. Okay? I said, when are we talking? Right? And she's like, no, like when I was older, like when I got older, you know? And she goes, would you care? I was like, babe, we'll just cross that bridge when we get there. And then she has this. She goes, well, is it wrong? I said, well, what do you think? She's like, I don't know. That's why I'm asking you. <laughs> i had people come to me, hey, pastor, I need to ask you this question. Is it, is it wrong for me to buy a lottery ticket? And then I always get this. But if I win, I promise I'll tithe. (laughs) So my response, well, if you're feeling lucky, I'm just kidding. Here's the thing. When people ask me questions like that, what are they wanting? They're wanting me to either condemn it or support it. They're wanting me to say, go for it. That's a great idea. There's nothing wrong with that. Or they want me to say, well, hold on. That's a complete sin. You better not do that. That's what people are wanting. And that's what the church of Corinth is wanting Paul to do. So how does, what, how does Paul answer them? He says, but food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do eat. So Paul is saying, it doesn't really matter one way or the other. Now Paul's not dancing around the issue here. But rather he's showing there's a bigger issue at hand. There's something more important at stake than a do or a don't. And this is what he's going to get to. And I want you to write this down somewhere on your bulletin, in your Bible, write it on your hand, put it in your phone. How will this decision affect others? How will this decision affect others? That's what's really at stake. It's not about a list of do's or don'ts, but it's how will me making this decision, whether I do this thing or not do this thing, how will this affect somebody else? And that's what Paul is saying. He goes, There's a bigger issue at hand. See, our love for one another should always trump our knowledge or opinion on whether I should or shouldn't do something. But what about my rights? What about my freedoms? See, because that's the beauty of grace, is there's freedom in grace. We're not bound to a list of right or wrongs in order to earn our salvation, okay? We don't earn our salvation based on a list of things that we have to check off. That's the beauty of grace. There's freedom there. So what about our freedoms? What about our rights in Jesus. And Paul's going to address that starting in verse 9. He says, Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their neck wound their weak conscience you sin against Christ therefore if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall so I want to challenge us to look at our rights from a different perspective look at them from a different perspective should be a filling in your notes here we have the right to do what is best for another believer We have the right to do what is best for another believer. Verse 9, says, Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. So while we have the right or the freedom to do a lot of things, we have to look at it and see, is this best for another believer? Or will this thing cause somebody else to stumble in their faith? You see, most of us by nature are selfish people, aren't we? We want to do what is best for us. I would like to say that I'm not a selfish person, but I realized I was a selfish person on the way of driving my wife to the airport on Friday. We're driving down 35, and we have people are merging in, and they have a yield sign. Keep in mind, they have the yield sign. Okay? I'm doing 65 miles an hour. But this guy forgets he has a yield sign or doesn't care that he has a yield sign. So what does he do? He essentially cuts me off. And you know what I do? I don't stop and say, let's pray for this man right now. (laughs) No, I lay on my horn. I'm yelling and screaming. And Becca looks at me. She's like, what is your problem? I was like, he just cut me off. He's got a yield sign. That man needs to learn how to drive. And I'm just going back and forth. And what was the issue? (laughs) He impeded my rights. He jumped all over my rights. I had the right to go 65 miles an hour. I was well within my rights. But he impeded my rights. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 through 4 says this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking for your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. So Paul tells the church of Philippi, stop looking at what is best for you, but begin to look at what is best for others. What if we all actually lived this way? Think about how drastically life would be, how drastically different life would be if we all really lived this way. Think about it if we lived this way when we went to call customer service for anything. What if when we went to pick up the phone and dial a 1-800 number to talk to customer service, our thought was this, I just want to do what's best for the person on the other end of this line. (laughs) So when they can't answer my question, I'm not going to flip out. When they can't solve my problem, I'm not going to get upset because I want to do what's best for that individual. What about if we lived this way in November on Black Friday shopping? Could you imagine how different Walmart would look? I've been Black Friday shopping, and it's like my worst nightmare. Because it's literally people going nuts over a toaster. A toaster. And my wife's like, "But it's six bucks. We've got a toaster. And I know all these other people have a toaster. There is no way there's this many people in Arc City without a toaster. There is no way. But what do they do? Man, they're climbing over each other. They're elbowing each other. They're pushing each other down to get this toaster that more than likely will break in about a month. (laughs) But what if on Black Friday when we went shopping, we said, you know what? I am going to put other people before myself today. You want this? Here, you can have this toaster. Here's my ticket for the $300 TV. How drastically would our world, how drastically different would our world look? (laughs) See, but the problem is most of us, we don't live our life that way. Most of us live our life based on what is best for me, not what is best for others. Paul further reiterates this in chapter 10. Verse 23 through 24, he says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. So how can we know we're doing what is best for other believers? How can we know? At the end of the day, when we are in the midst of trying to answer a disputable question. We're in the midst of trying to determine whether we're going to do something or not do something. How do we know that we're doing what is best for another believer? I think there's a couple questions for us to answer. Number one, could my actions cause another believer to stumble? Could my actions cause another believer to stumble? Remember what he said in verse 13, chapter 8, Therefore, if what I cause is my brother or sister... What if I, excuse me, therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so I will not cause them to fall. Is the things I do, listen, participate in, causing another believer to stumble? Remember what we talked about a couple weeks ago. Our rights and freedoms as believers should never trump the spiritual growth of another person. We should be concerned about the growth of others. The lives of others should concern us. But Paul said this. Paul said, I will gladly never eat meat again if it means that one of my brothers won't stumble in their walk with Jesus. I will gladly never touch meat again if it means that that person will grow spiritually. Now, most of us will say, well, that's too far because I love bacon. I'm going to eat meat, right? But here's the, what is Paul saying? Paul's saying the issue isn't whether you're eating meat or not eating meat. That's not the issue. The issue is by you making this decision, you're causing a believer to stumble. So the most important thing is the spiritual growth. You want to ensure spiritual growth of others. So the question answers, could my actions cause another believer to stumble? The second question for us to answer is this. How far would I go to keep another from stumbling? How far would I go to keep another from stumbling? Remember, I said Paul talked about this in chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10. In chapter 9, he says this, Though I am free, I belong to no man. I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. Paul says, I am free, but to those who aren't free, I became like I wasn't free. To those who are Jews, I became like I was a Jew. To those who are weak, I became like I was weak. Why? So I might win somebody. Paul says, I am willing to do whatever it takes to win somebody with Jesus that means I'm sacrificing some of my own personal freedoms I'm willing to do that if that means that somebody might come to know Jesus Paul's saying I'm willing to sacrifice some of my own personal freedoms if that means somebody may take their next step in their walk with Christ so the question is is how far are we willing to go to reach someone for Jesus how much are we willing to sacrifice for someone to know who God is See, as a church, I hope that we'll be willing to do anything short of sin to help someone know Jesus. As a church, we should be willing to do anything short of sin so that somebody can come to know Jesus. Because at the end of the day, that's the most important thing. The fact that somebody comes to know Jesus is the most important thing. Not our own rights or not our own freedoms. Not our own likes or not our own dislikes. Not even our own preferences should trump somebody coming to know Jesus. So we should be willing to do whatever it takes as a church to win someone for Jesus, but we should also be willing to do anything short of sin as individuals to help someone know Jesus, to help someone take their next step. So practically, what does this look like? What does it look like practically to sacrifice in this way? I would challenge you. Next Sunday, when you get up and you start getting ready for church, I would challenge you to approach it this way. God, who do you want me to minister to today? See, most of us, when we get up and we get ready for church, our thought is this, God, I need to hear from you this week, right? That's most of our thoughts. God, I, it's been a rough week. God, I, I need to hear a word today. God, I need to walk away encouraged today. God, I need you to build me up today. There's nothing wrong with that. And we should all hope that that happens when we attend church. But, what if next Sunday, each of us woke up and said, God, help me to put the needs of somebody else before me today. God, help me to minister to somebody today. God, Help me to see someone that's hurting in my church and help me just to stop and pray for them. See, I do know this. If we were to do that, we'd walk away with a word. We'd walk away encouraged. We'd walk away and God would have spoken to our spirit. Why? Because what he tells us, don't look at your interests of your own. Look on the interest of others. Another practical way for this is serving. When we serve at church, when we serve at church, we're putting the needs of somebody else before our own. When you go downstairs and you work with the kids, you're putting the needs of somebody else before your own. Well, whose needs am I putting? You're putting the needs of their parents before your own. Do you know how awesome it is and how refreshing it is for a parent to be able to walk into a church and know that their kids are going to be loved on? And their kids are going to be taught the word? And their kids are going to be safe? And their kids are going to have adults that are just going to pour into them? That means so much to parents. But then that allows those parents to be able to sit upstairs with a mind clear and actually allows them to be able to hear God's word. about sacrificial giving? What about when we give just a little bit extra to missions? Or we give a little bit extra to send a kid to camp? Yeah, we probably could have bought a coffee this week. But that little bit of extra, who knows the difference that can make for a missionary? Or the difference it can make. You guys... I just want to commend you on your giving. You guys are such a giving church. We sent so many kids to camp this year. And camp was such a huge part of our kids' summer where they learned so much about the Lord. Some of them made some really great decisions. We had one surrender to ministry at camp this year. That's because you guys sacrificed and you put the needs of others before yourself. So let's look at how Paul ends this talk on rights and freedoms in chapter 10. It says, Whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now, most of us, we stop at that verse, right? Because we love that verse. It's a great verse. Whatever we do, do it all for the glory of God. Absolutely. We should. Everything we do. But we've got to read it in its context. We've got to read in the context of what he's talking about. It says, so whatever you eat or drink, remember the context of what he's talking about? talking about meat being offered to idols. That's the context of what he's talking about. It says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And look at verse 32. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews or Greeks or the church of God. Even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Paul says, I am willing to do anything. I will sacrifice my own rights, my own freedoms. I will gladly put others before myself if that means that one more person can come to know Jesus. If that means that I will share heaven with one more person, that I'm willing to sacrifice whatever I have to sacrifice to make that happen. I think the issue is we major on the minor things and we minor on the, major, on, the main, on the major things. Our jobs, our finances, our pleasures all become, all come before someone knowing Jesus. But is it possible that the job that you have, the life that you live, it isn't trivial but uniquely designed by God because he has someone he wants you to reach in that environment. What if you thought about your job that way? The job that I have isn't just here for me to provide for my family. Yes, it does that, and praise the Lord for that. But the job that I have, is it possible that God has given me these talents and these abilities to do this job because there's somebody in this field that he wants me to reach? Because here's the thing. Some of the people you interact with on a daily basis, I may never interact with. Some you say, well, I hate my job. I hate my job. I get that. It's a job. But what if you looked at it differently? What if... This is an avenue for you to reach somebody. What if... God has put you in that spot to use your job as a platform to reach somebody for Jesus. Paul says, I'm willing to do anything. I'm willing to sacrifice anything. I'm willing to give up anything if it means that one more person will come to know Jesus. A few next steps. Number one, be concerned about the spiritual growth of others. So important. The spiritual growth of the person sitting next to you should be of concern to you. It should be of concern to you. You should wonder, is that person sitting next to me growing spiritually? Is that person sitting next to me, do they know Jesus? And if they don't... do Do I have an opportunity maybe to to show them Jesus? I I would issue this challenge for you as a church. Think about the person sitting next to you right now. Maybe it's your husband, maybe it's your wife, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a complete stranger. Pray for that person this week. Pray for that person. Pray that they'll grow spiritually. And take it one step further. Before you leave today, say, hey, I'm praying for you this week. Even if you don't know them. Say, listen, I don't want this to be weird, but the guy up on stage said that we should do this. (laughs) I know we don't know each other, but I'm so-and-so. And I just want you to know that I'm praying for you this week. I'm praying that you grow spiritually this week. I don't know what you have going on, but I'm praying for you this week. Husband, wife, you should be praying for each other every day. You should be telling each other you're praying for each other every day. But do that. Be concerned about the spiritual growth of others. Number two, be willing to sacrifice for the growth of others. Disputable issues... Paul says, Now what about meat sacrificed idols? What do we do with that? He essentially says, You know what? It doesn't matter if you do or you don't, but the issue is this we must be willing to sacrifice or not do something if that means that a brother or sister will not stumble. I have to be okay with saying you know what that thing may be okay for me to do but it's not beneficial for me to do because it may cause somebody else to stumble in their walk with Christ and I should be concerned about the spiritual growth of others and because I'm concerned about the spiritual growth of others I'm willing to sacrifice this freedom or this right in order for that person to be able to grow be willing to sacrifice for the growth of others would you bow your heads for me